Good evening. This is Bible Talk with Jane and Shannon. I'm Jane. And I'm Shannon. And tonight we're talking about the power of stories. The power of stories. I have been accused often of being a storyteller. He is a storyteller. (laughs) I like to tell stories. I like to draw people in. Uh, Jane and I both like to read. I am a fiction reader. I like to read a lot of historical fiction, things like that, where I know the setting, I know the place, but I love someone to tell me the story of the setting and the place through the eyes of someone who would have been there. That's why I like historical fiction. I like that a lot. So storytelling is something that uh, is common in my family, I guess. My grandfather was a storyteller. Well, I will say that I would say most everybody in the entire world loves a good story. They can get sucked into a good story Their eyes and heart will be into it. And actually, I have a little quote from a a lady by the name of Naomi Chibana. And she wrote a story, uh, an article called Seven Storytelling Techniques Used by the Most Inspiring TED Presenters. She said, our brains are hardwired to process and store information in the form of stories. Stories are irresistible to the human mind because they activate our imaginations, and so we have no choice but to follow the mental movies in our heads. So I think mental movies in our heads. That's what she said, and I think she's right. Yeah, I, I, uh, doing a little bit of research. I, there was a Kevin Eikenberry is a leadership teacher. He's a leadership guru that teaches mm-hmm. people. He said that uh, stories have five main purposes. Okay. One is to make a point. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that makes them powerful if you're going to tell a right story. Uh, it, they're memorable. They're meaningful. They create and reveal emotions. And they build connections with the audience. Mm. And uh, Forbes actually considers storytelling to be a learnable leadership technique. You can learn to be a good storyteller. W- and they have lessons yeah. on how to be a good storyteller. From a leadership perspective. Yeah, well, I I have told good stories, but I want to get better at storytelling because one of the very best storytellers in ever existence was Jesus himself because yes. he spoke in parables. And, well, I, and a parable is a type of story. Um, mm-hmm. By definition, a parable is considered to be a simple story with a moral uh, to the story. Um, a fable is mm-hmm. similar. Mm-hmm. It's a story usually involving animals that has a moral to it. And then there's the allegory. Mm. And the allegory, again, has a moral moral principle behind it. But we know Jesus as being... Uh, Jesus' stories as being parables is what we normally think of them as. Yeah. I have a good quote from Jennifer Kennedy Dean. She's written a lot of Bible studies. And she wrote one on parables, which is a great study. And she said... Uh, actually, I think I, let me, it says, she says, God always speaks in parables. Everything he does, everything he creates, everything he says is telling a story. The eternal rabbi has taught us through stories designed to reach our hearts through our imagination. And then she goes on to say, eternal truth cast in earthly forms. That is God's way. It has always been God's way. God speaks in parables. I like that. I like that too. Um, the first in Ma- in the book of Matthew, at least there there were. Uh, I believe John has twenty four parables. Matthew has twenty three. Mm-hmm. Mark only has eight. No, but two of Mark's are unique. They're not like the other ones. Um, but in Matthew, 
where we get a lot of our parables from, the first one he tells is the parable of the sower, mm-hmm. which we're all fairly familiar with. And it's interesting because he does the parable of the sower the same day as he does the Sermon on the Mount. Hmm. In the end of Matthew 12, um, we have the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. Mount and it ends with... Um, I thought the Sermon on the Mount was Matthew 5. Uh, was it Sermon on the Mount? Maybe it's Luke 12. Luke 12. Okay, yeah. But in uh, Matthew 12... Mm-hmm. Jesus is talking to the crowds, and he talks about um, Pharisees are talking to him, all those things. They, they say they want to see a sign from him and all these kind of things, and he gets upset with them. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, the last uh, four verse, the last three verses here of Matthew 12, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his brother and sister stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mothers and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, Who is my bro- mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he says, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And the very next thing it says in verse 1 of 13, That mm-hmm. same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. The crowds gathered, and that's where he started talking in parables. Hmm. He had been... Challenged by the Pharisees over and over again, he he called them you know vultures and all sorts of things, right. um, and even his own family started challenging him mm-hmm. and saying, "You need to hush up, hush up." Crazy. And he turned around and said, "Wait a minute," and that even that in and of itself was kind of a parable. This is my mother and my brothers, mm. because it was symbolic. There was a there was a symbolism that Jesus was using there, and with the parable of the sower, we know that one so well. That is that's such a neat one. Um, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a powerful one. There's so much meaning behind it. And I looked at, I've got a quote here from a, uh, Alfred Eidershine. He says, the parables of Jesus made it about the response and not about the message. Mm -hmm. If you were committed to the gospel, then you would seek further understanding. If you are not committed, it would just be a simple story that doesn't really make any sense, and who cares? Mm-hmm. Just push it off to the side. I have a couple uh, uh, verses that mm-hmm. goes go with that. Okay. And these, these are from the message, so it's in American English. It says, um, uh, Luke 8.10 says, Jesus said, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. There are others who need stories. And then Matthew thirteen thirteen says, "That's why I tell stories to create readiness to nudge the people toward a welcome awakening." So it's well, kind of like it's you interesting. Come the from the back door, yeah. yeah. Because uh, I'm Matthew thirteen, I'm with you right now. Mm-hmm. In Matthew thirteen, um, in ten, they said, "Why do you speak in parables?" And he said, "Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you and not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and mm-hmm. they will have an abundance." Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then you had that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that concept of if you're grasping the gospel, you will get the parable. Mm -hmm. If you are not, it's going to go over your head. Or you will think it's beneath you because they're simple stories. Jesus, um, in Jesus' time, the rabbis of the day loved to argue points. Right. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Always arguing points. And they had fine points of the law and all these things they were bringing out. 
And Jesus simplified it all way down. And they would have thought it was beneath them to speak in these parables. Right. But the average everyday person would have had the would have had context and that connection that I was talking about before. That that connection that he would have had with them when he's talking about shepherds, he's talking about farming, and he's talking about nature. He's talking about things that they understood. So there was a connection there with them. But even they did not even even people that were agriculturally connected may not have got the spiritual moral of the story. Right. That was reserved for people that wanted to find it and wanted to see it. Well, yes, and I, uh, but I think also, and I'm trying to remember where this, the, uh, when Nathan comes to David, I, I'm not sure where it is, but Nathan mm-hmm. confronts David, but he tells David a story about the poor man who has one sh- lamb right. and loves the lamb. Right. And then there's a rich man who, when a, 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 na- a friend comes, he takes the poor man's lamb, who who he even had sleep in the house and ate at the table, and he slaughtered the poor man's lamb because he didn't want to use one of his own. And it made David so angry. He had that emotional connection. Yes, with the, the emotional connection. And Nathan right. said, you are that man. And I think, I think this is what Jesus is doing too. So it's almost like, uh, so someone can hear it just like you said, and just it can go over their head or underneath them or whatever. They don't get it, but if they get that emotional connection, their heart might open up. Well, yes, but I think it goes. I think it also goes to a desire to see it for what it well, is. Well, yeah. So I've got an example yeah, for go you ahead. out of Luke eighteen. Um, I'm going to start in verse ten, and then I'm going to go back a little bit. Okay. So in verse ten. Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, that seems like a very, it's very short. Mm-hmm. It's very to the point. And when he says it, it's obvious on, on who the righteous right. man is. That's, that's, but the meaning, of the, par- the meaning of the parable itself was more than just the simple story. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at these parables... You should look at yourself and see who am I in that mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, verse nine. I said I go back one right. verse before. It says to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Mm. So, as an evangelical Christian in 2020 in the United States right now, if I use this parable in my sermon, my hope would be that people would say. Uh, Lord, forgive me when I'm acting like the tax collector. Mm. Not that, not boy, I'm glad I'm the not Pharisee. the tax or the, the Pharisee. Yeah, yeah. It, forgive me for not acting like that Pharisee. Instead of saying, "Oh Lord, I thank thank you, I'm I'm just a tax collector." Yeah. Or oh, you know, right. I'm, I guess I'm not. I thank you for not making me as bad as the Pharisee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now is that not? That's kind worse. of who we are, but if yeah. if we look at it from that perspective, that's what Jesus wants us to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want us to just say, "Well, it's obvious who the righteous guy is." Mm-hmm. He wants, he us, wants to us to enter. look at it and put it into our, and apply it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
that story needs to have you as a character in it. And mm. Jesus' stories gave you the opportunity to put yourself in and say, who would I be? Mm. Who am I in these kids? And that's where those that are given will get more out of it. Mm. Yeah, that's And true. those that don't want, to, don't want to associate themselves with the gospel will mm. see this as a simple little story and won't get it. Mm. So if you want to discount Jesus' parables as nothing... You can. You can. They're just a nice little story. But if you want to look into them farther, there's depth there. And I think that's partially um, when we sit around and we talk about storytelling and good stories, a lot of the stories have the emotional connection. They have a moral to the story. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing's worse than a great story with a really bad ending. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. When it just suddenly drops off and it's, but, 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 but. What happened? What if, you know? Right. Or or it's a good story, but then the if it's a one that you, if it's a book, and you can tell all of a sudden the author forces an ending on it, and it's just like, it's so disingenuous, you know, like, that's not sh- what should have happened. Remember I read a, uh, a chapter book, I read all ages of genres or whatever, but I read a chapter book a, a few years ago. With Hawken, and I don't remember much about what the book was about, but I remember the ending was so disappointing because I was like, oh, the characters wouldn't have done that. And it's kind of like the author forces herself on her, what she wanted to happen. And I I loved how this Jennifer Kennedy Dean said that God always speaks in parables so that even like our lives are parables to other people. They're stories. And that if we, I think a really great thing for us to learn, each of us, is to become really good storytellers. Because people always say, you know, tell someone your own story, your personal story. But if you don't tell it well, it kind of goes flat. Yeah, that, you know, we need one of the most powerful witnesses we can give to the gospel is giving our own testimony, yeah. our own personal testimony. Mm-hmm. And being able to put that into a context where someone can can connect with it mm-hmm. is a gift. Yeah. It is a gift. It is someone. And you know what? Your testimony doesn't change based on your audience, but the way you tell it might change based on your audience. Not that not that the right. story is different, mm-hmm. but just because of who you're talking to is, would be slightly different. Um, one of the, Jane does read tons of things. Tons and tons and tons of all sorts of things. She's been reading to Hawkett for 21 years now, and she reads out loud to him. 20 years. Yeah, just about 21 years. Yeah. You were reading to him before he was born. Was I? Yeah. I probably was. She (laughs) reads to him every single day. She'll read to him. And, and, you know, the other day I went out in the yard. She was sitting out in in the shade under a tree with Hawkett. I don't remember. I was working somewhere, and I walked up, just take a break. And she was sitting there with Hawkett, and she had six books sitting next to her. Mm-hmm. They're reading all these books at the same time, going from book to book. Yeah, to book. and you know who I detest right Not now. Not a lot of people can do that. <laughs> Iago, in Iago. Othello. Iago, excuse yes. me. Oh, Shakespeare. A horrible character. Just oh, it's rotten. And I guess you know what that shows up how powerful Shakespeare is as a storyteller because he can take Iago. one character and make you hate him that much. Yes, because you just. <laughs> It's just, I'm reading this to Hawking out loud, and I'm like, oh, he's ruining all these people's lives. And I and we're not done with it yet, but we're almost done. We're almost to Act 5. And I just, oh, 
just I well, cringe anyway. The other one that I was thinking about that you read that I remember it being, and I read some of them too after you mentioned it. Um, we have in this day and age kind of lost the art of storytelling mm-hmm. because we've allowed it all to become movies and television yeah. shows. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, there's a man named Christopher Booker in 2004 came out with a book called The Seven Basic Plots. Oh, yeah. And The Seven Basic Plots says basically there are only seven different kinds of plots for stories. And it's movies, basically. Mm -hmm. So Overcoming the Monster, Rags to Riches, The Quest, Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, and Rebirth. Well, Jesus' parables didn't fit into any of those categories, so that's (laughs) obviously not all there is. But... I remember when you were reading the originals or the original translations of Grimm's fairy tales. Mm. And we have a tendency now, we have lost a lot of our depth in storytelling because we make everything politically correct and feel good and all that. Everything's happily ever after. Mm-hmm. All the Disney stuff is happily ever after. But if you would have looked at the original Grimm tales and how they ended those stories... Most of the times it wasn't happily ever after. No. Most of the times Hansel and Gretel ended up in the oven sort of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were morals to say the monsters are going to get you if you don't go to bed right now. Mm-hmm. We don't tell our kids stories like that anymore. We we tell them, no, there's nothing under the bed. And they would say, if you put your foot on the ground, what's under the bed's going to grab you. <laughs> it, it must have been a different time and day. And I'm not saying that necessarily you should be telling your children that, but... Um, the point I'm trying to make now is that we have had, we have, have a tendency to lose our ability to be creative in our storytelling. Mm-hmm. I see that when I am, as a teacher, as mm-hmm. an English teacher, when I give writing assignments to my students and I give them um, creative writing assignments where they can be, they can write fiction, I give them a, a prompt of some sort and let them take off to write fiction. Some of them are horrible and cannot come up with anything and don't understand the concept and cannot create in their own mind a story to tell. Some of them try and pass off somebody else's story. Oh, wait, wait. They'll try and tell they'll they'll try and give me a paper where they tell me a movie and think I maybe I didn't see this one and they'll stick it in there. My friend Tiffany was a sixth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. She had some writing assignment and she read this one and she's like, Wow, this is really good. And I can't remember, but she was having a friend read it or whatever. And she goes, Tiffany, this is, it was a cartoon. She says, this is like SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and I don't know if that's what it was, but I remember Tiffany sure. telling me she didn't know the cartoon. And so, yeah. this. Well, and that's <laughs> that's why sometimes when I, I'm reading, if I get a really good one, I'm kind of suspect. Yeah. Like, Whoa, wait a minute. But I have had a few, a few individuals that are outstanding. Standing storytellers. And the sad part that I see now, and I don't know whether it's a repressive thing that's in our society right now, the best storytellers I have ever gotten have all been from introverted children that are usually fringe kids. Mm. They're not popular. They're not in the middle of anything. They would never have said this out loud. Mm -hmm. But they tell amazing stories. Their imagination is awesome. But it is something that we seem to have kind of lost. We always joke about now how our son Pete is really, he's 18 years old now, and he's really—he's always been really into like 80s music and 80s movies and stuff. 
Uh, he just did a Facebook Live thing on reviewing Back to the Future today. Um, Pete's, a, Pete's a special guy with the 80s. But we always joke around with him because half the television shows today are remakes of good shows from the 80s. And they're not good when they remade them. No. They, they have to make four versions of a movie now or five or six versions. They, they keep doing sequels to movies like they can't come up with an original idea. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing that there's a lack of imagination in our society now. Because we get a lot of imaginary stuff from the media. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of imaginary stuff from opinion pieces and social media and all that kind of stuff. People love to make up all sorts of stories, but they tell you they're true. Yeah. They don't make up creative original characters, original anything. They just try and and make they try and take our today's society and put them into one of these seven basic plot lines. And it so works you pick sometimes. someone who's over who's your monster and then you write about overcoming that monster. Yeah. Or uh, you're selling things to people and you do the regs to riches thing. Mm-hmm. Or you know, you talk about tragedies and comedies and all that kind of stuff. The difference with Jesus' parables and his storytelling is that he was telling something to every individual that every individual, not just listening to him, but today reading the Bible, can go to that parable and still take out something that is uniquely and personally interpreted solely by them into their own lives. Mm -hmm. Something that you can look at and say, on Tuesday, I was this person. But I really wanted to be this person in that story. But I really was this person. Mm -hmm. And you can take that and put meaning into your own life because of it. And I think that's why you and I read books Mm -hmm. to some extent. But I think the, the parables of Jesus are so timeless because they always apply to us because they are spiritual stories. Also, when Jesus tells them, like I'm thinking of the prodigal son... They're open-ended. They don't always wrap up real good. Like, yeah, the prodigal son comes back, but we never know what happens with the older son. Does he go into the the party? Oh, yeah. Or does he forget? I mean, there's a we lot We know a little his... bit about it, but we don't know what his reaction is. But he leaves those hanging there because... I think I'm... Well, obviously we should I'm think about. Right. We should think about what would we do in that period. Yeah. If he tells you what you'd do in that, then it's not nearly as as uh, spiritually sensitive as if he lets you fill in. Mm-hmm. If it was me, I would have. Those stories, The Prodigal Son is one of my favorite parables of all time. Um, it, all, of those, all of those things. And Jane got me a book. Um, oh, I have it sitting here somewhere nearby. But, through um, the eyes? Yeah. Through- uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. It was written by a former uh, um, ambassador to the Middle East, a very strong Christian who looked at his New Testament and looked at what he what he had learned about the culture of years and years and years of living there, and he gave up. He gives a lot of context. So even if I, I a parable that I have seen a thousand times and read a thousand times. And now I look at this and I get some context and the parable becomes deeper and stronger and has different meaning and more depth of meaning and layers. And I don't think I could do that with anybody else. People try, but I don't think I could do that with anybody else's writing but than Jesus. Probably not. But, you know, 
I, I want to share something because I, I really want to challenge myself, and, and you're good at it already, but you can always get better, mm-hmm. challenge anybody who's listening to this to try to become, work on your storytelling uh, techniques. Tell, tell people stories because even in your family, like little kids from the very get-go will say, Mom, Dad, tell me a story. Grandma and Grandpa, tell me a story. And Or tell every- me about when you were my age. Yeah, everybody wants to hear a story. So is it, wouldn't it be exciting to be able to tell that story from your little kid years that is really fun to listen to? So I want to give you a few little tips that I got from the same article, this um, Naomi Chaban of the Seven Storytelling Techniques by the Inspiring TED Presenters. And they don't all apply just to telling stories, but a few of her tips are create suspense. You know, don't just say, this is what happened, and but create suspense, bring characters to life, and she wrote, easy to identify with characters that have uncommon characteristics. Hmm. So, uh, show, don't tell. You know, let them smell the smells. Hear what you're hearing. Try to describe things like that. And build up to a star moment. And that stands for something they'll always remember. And then she also has end with a positive takeaway which makes it a great talk. But if you're telling a story, it doesn't, I guess, have to have a positive takeaway. But I do want to share a story. I still remember, and we were attending a Lutheran church when I was a little kid, and we needed a pastor. So mm-hmm. pastor candidates would come and tell, you know, give us a sermon. And I still remember this one sermon of this guy. I can't even tell you what the sermon was about necessarily, but I do remember his illustration. And now as a, and a grown-up, I think it's ridiculous, but as a kid, it really impressed itself upon me that I remember it as a 52-year-old. He talks about how he loved macaroon cookies and that he, for some reason, hid them all around his office. So, like, he'd find one every once in a while and give him hope. I'm not quite sure why he, he hid them around his office to find them every once in a while. And now that I'm thinking that they had to go stale or draw mice or something, but... Um, that really, I mean, it still hit with me, but as, as a kid, that was a story that really touched me, or at least I remember it. That's a, something they'll always remember. And I, of course, I don't remember anything else about that whole thing. I remember he was young, this, but, mm-hmm. but it, that's a silly story, but it was something that, I mean, I was probably, I was in grade school and I remember him and that, telling us yeah, that. you remember that. Uh-huh. You know, I remember stories my grandfather told told me, and my grandmother told me. Um, just I can hear their voice when they're telling me the stories to this day, and they're both gone now. But um, there is power in that in that ability to tell that story, and you know that connection. If you get it from a family member, and it's a history thing, um, something about the family, there's a there's an automatic connection there. You're 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 picturing people and that you may know or someone that, you know, I never saw my grandfather as a young man. There would have been any pictures of him as a child, but um, I pictured him as a child telling me some of these stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of them could have been known as tall tales because <laughs> he's being my source of most of my Irish heritage. Uh, we have a tendency to to tell whoppers occasionally, but or to be. Uh, creative with the truth, as he would say. But the power of a story, something that simple, 
shouldn't ever be underestimated. No. Because when you have someone in the grips of the story, and I can say this as a pastor, I can say this as a parent, I can say this as a teacher, when you have captured an audience within that story, and that audience may be one child or one person, when you have captured them, if you take them and lead them into a dark place in that story, that story can be very damaging. Yeah. If you take someone and you make what should be an emotional connection, a painful connection, they'll remember that part of the story too, or that mm-hmm. story too. And they will ever, forever paint you with that story, or possibly paint your faith with that story. Mm. It depends uh, the way there is power to it, and it has to be used mm. correctly. It's very easy for someone to lead someone astray. Um, yes, because there's an emotional connection. So if sure. you're leading their emotions in a manip- manipulative way... Well, look at look at all the cults that, that have existed over time. I mean, what, the, what would they say about any of those cult leaders, any of the people that had people follow them and do things that were absolutely beyond uh, normal human common sense? And they would say they were very charismatic. Mm-hmm. What's a charismatic person do? Charismatic person tells good stories. Mm-hmm. Good they stories. can get you. They can grab you in a story. They can take you on a ride, and you volunteer to go with them. Yeah. And that's what a cult leader does. So there is power, both positive and negative, I guess, in storytelling. But I'm taking this from a context of someone who only wants to be positive in that. Be careful. Mm-hmm. Be careful when you're telling your stories. Pay attention to the audience you're talking to and make sure you know where you're going and what the ending is going to be and what, you're, what points you're trying to bring, bring across. Um, storytelling is, I mean, um, Arabian Nights, mm-hmm. you know. all There are a lot of morals, a lot of stories out there like that. And when I'm doing, uh, when I have my reading class with my seventh graders this year, we read a lot of fables. Mm-hmm. And we read... Um, a lot of uh, short stories that were uh, all had morals and had meanings to them in the end. And that was what I was trying to get is that when I was taking this to a seventh grade level, what I'm trying to get is critical thinking on their part. Mm-hmm. So every time we read a story, if I was reading it out loud or we were reading it out loud as a group, with a small group, large group, I would stop it and say, okay, everybody stop for a minute. Just look up at me. What's going to happen next? Mm. Where should this story go next? What's the next thing that's going to happen? And the ones that the kids always remember are the ones that surprise them. Mm. Yes. The ones that go in a different, or a twist in the middle. Yeah, twist, yeah. This is what's happening in this story. Oh, wait a minute. Now this second character came in and... Well, he's a terrible person. Oh, wait a minute. He's he's the best. He's the good guy in the story. And just, it's amazing... How a good storyteller can can capture you like that, and I could go to a I know several of them that I I saw the look in their eyes when we were reading that I could go to today and say, do you remember that story? And they would tell me the story again. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of power there, um, and the best storyteller, I think, really was the parables. Well, and yeah. this is this is how God talks to us in stories. And I think if we can learn to talk like God in stories, 
for for the benefit of uh, for the benefit of others for them to bring closer to Jesus. Hmm. I I just think that is could be so powerful, plus enjoyable. I. Uh, and that's why I think a, a lot of times people get wrapped around minutia. Uh, biblical scholars sometimes get wrapped around minutia. What do you mean minutia? Oh. This one says this, and this says this, and this says this, and they want to compare this and that one, and this this verse and that verse, and all these kind of things, and they're looking for for pharisaical type points that they can bring out and says, well, this says this, and this says this. I think if you, as a God, as the God inspired word from Genesis to Revelations, if you look at that through a spiritual lens, mm-hmm. the rest of it doesn't matter. God's mm-hmm. speaking to you. Through that spiritual lens. That's what the purpose of the Bible is. is for us to get closer to Him. And to understand who He is, what He wants, who we are. So if we look with that, uh, that's a type of exegesis, you know, where we are looking through a spiritual lens at everything that's told. So when you look at Genesis, and people can't prove that it was just Adam and Eve and all these other things, I still believe that that's exactly how creation started. However, I also look at the spiritual concept of it, and I think that that's what's most important. It's great that there are paleontologists out there and all these people that want to do research on all sorts of things, and they come up with things like carbon dating and all sorts of stuff. That's wonderful. That's great. But I think you miss the point if all you're going to do is go out there and try and force meaning into things. Mm. I think I think we have to look through the eyes of, of God. If God was speaking to me and telling me this, why would He want to tell me that? Well, I think He is. I think you know. We could say, but I mean, yeah, right. I think He is. But I mean, that's the, that's the way we should look at things. When I open up my Bible, God, what do you want to say to me today? When I go in there and I read Paul's letter writing to a church, I'm not seeing Paul's letter to a church. I'm seeing God saying something to me. Yeah. Well, it could be anything, like you could, besides the Bible, like just out, if you're outside, say, what story is God trying to tell me right now? Mm. What, I, I, I think he really wants to reveal himself in wonderful ways through absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we like to watch, what's that silly, spy animals, the yeah. spy animals. They're kind of cute, it's on PBS, they create these animals that look like, Real animals, but they're little robotic animals, and then their eyes are funny. The eye is a camera, and they put them within wild animals like elephants and tortoises and all sorts of things. And they they're animatronic, so they move and they try and make them blend in. Yeah, but sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But but we get to see the stories of the different animals, and it is quite fascinating. Not always. I mean, sometimes a little embarrassing. Like we saw the reproductive habits of the turtle. Tortoises, we turned the channel on that. That was a little X-rated, but um. but just just to finish <laughs> this up here to pull it back in. Um, you better our storytelling. Uh, there's there's a power to it. Yeah, there is. There is a gift to it, and as both an audience listening to God's storytelling and as witnesses for Christ telling our own stories. We need to just be uh, not only respectful, but just in awe of the power of those stories. Mm. 
and take them as as something that with that power we can do great good. Oh, and I do want to add one thing. Yes. Because I've heard some people dismiss their own personal stories with Jesus. Oh, my. Because maybe they're not, like, super dramatic. But a story doesn't have to be, like, super dramatic, filled with, like, huge abuse and murder and all this stuff. Whatever your story is, that story is the perfect story for someone to hear. Just tell it honestly and with your hearts and just tell it how it happened and that might be exactly the story that that person needs to hear each and every one of us is created in the image of god and we have that connection to start with and every one of us has an emotional base that is familiar mm-hmm. so wherever you're coming from the person you're talking to has been there yeah just be honest like jane says yeah thanks there for is, listening. there is power in truth and honesty God bless. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. See you next week.